Good evening. We're going to go ahead and go ahead and get started. If you have your Bibles, if you would find with me Ezra the third chapter, as we had started the book of Ezra uh, back before I was gone. Uh, but I did have two questions, and I always want you to know this: that I hope that you know about pastors. There's two things that pastors most likely do not have every verse in the Bible memorized. So if you walk up to me and say, Jake, uh, what does uh, 2 Kings, the third chapter, verse 7 mean? I I'm probably going to have to look up what 2 Kings, chapter 3, verse 7 means. And two, um, not every question that you ask, I will know immediately. And so the last time we were here, there were two questions asked, and I want to do my best to answer those um, from just a little bit of the study that I have done. The first question was, why did Jesus allow the demons to enter the herd of pigs? has nothing to do with what we were studying with, but that was a question. And so, uh, really, we just don't know for sure. But there are some uh, educated guests. Uh, here is one that I read, that it could be because they didn't want to leave the area where they had been successful in doing their mischief among the people. Some people said they might have been drawn to the unclean animals because of their filthiness. Some of them thought maybe that if you read the book of Revelations chapter 9, the demons may have made this request because they thought it was their last chance to avoid confinement into the abyss, the place of confinement to which evil spirits are doomed. Uh, but whatever their reasoning, and this is one thing that I really enjoyed, it is clear from the account that demons had little power of their own and were unable to do anything without Jesus' permission. Another uh, writer said that it could have been that these pigs were owned by Jewish people and this was God's way of judging them for not because they shouldn't have owned um, swine and an unclean animal. But we just don't know. And so that are some of the answers that I have found. The other question... Uh, was the question about Zerubbabel's father and why is it listed in the Bible uh, that his father was one person and then there was another text that said that his father was someone else. And the only thing that I can find um, is that there are a couple different uh, options here. One, it could have just been a clerical error. Someone that was copying it could have wrote down the wrong thing. That doesn't mean that the Bible has error. It doesn't mean that the Bible is wrong. It just means that from time to time there could have been a comma, a period, something that shouldn't have been somewhere, uh, was somewhere. Uh, some of the other thoughts about what it could have been uh, were the fact that it is uh, possible that his father um, might have remarried. Uh, his father might have died and his mother remarried. And in the family lineage lines, it could have been something like that. Um, one of the other ones could have been that, um, uh, that both Shetelia and Pediah had sons named uh, Zerubbabel. So there are a couple of answers that could be, but we just don't have any uh, knowledge for sure. So... Those were the two questions that were asked and, and I tried to do a little bit of research and I have made it now as clear as it was before. So, but in Ezra chapter 3, I told you that I really wanted to focus in tonight on verses 8 through 13 about 
what it was like for people who had seen the original temple and were now watching it be rebuilt. And the title of the message tonight is You Don't Know What You Miss If You've Never Experienced It. You don't know what you have missed unless you experience it. Uh, If you have never uh, been on vacation to somewhere like Hawaii, you cannot imagine how beautiful it is. In high school, I had the privilege of going to Hawaii and going out and to seeing the Arizona. It is probably one of the most humbling things that you will ever see on this earth. As you stand there, I can't think what it's called now, but what the, uh, the area is that you stand on to look down. Uh, yeah, just the memorial. And you see, and it's just right below, right below the water. And you can't imagine what that's like unless you have been there. Many of you today could say that about a lot of different things. Jake, you don't know what it was like growing up in a more simple time, in a, in a time where it seemed like people loved their country and, and people wanted to go to church and, and revival meetings. How many of you can remember when re- revival meetings were going on all the time and people were being saved and, and the churches were full and And you look back to those days and you say, man, I remember what it was like. You see, I don't know what it was like. I was born in 1985. And some of you are thinking I was married and and had kids in 1985. Yes, I know that. But I don't remember a time in my life when you could go to any little country church and see those churches full and see people saved and seeing lives changed. What I know about little country churches is most of them are dead. And they're just holding on for dear life. And so what you say, I can remember those days when God was at work. I don't. Uh, I like to uh, uh, talk to people uh, that went to those little country churches and can talk about what it was like to see people saved and and to see uh, uh, pastors being called to preach and, and just what that was like. And tonight what happens in the book of Ezra, I was going to try to leave this coat on because my white shirt makes me look like the Pillsbury Doughboy, but I just can't take it. I'm just too, too overweight and too hot. So there it is. You can laugh at me all that you want. But, uh, but tonight what happens in this passage of Scripture is the children of Israel have come back to the land. They begin to rebuild the temple. And those that are old enough to remember what it was like are weeping. Now, those that had never been there, had never seen the blessings of God, the presence of God, they were rejoicing because they thought this is as good as it gets. And tonight I want to say this, and I want to correlate it to the church. So many times we come into a building and we think this is so wonderful. We think our services are so great. We think God is doing so much. But what I can tell you is, If you've been somewhere where God is really at work, what you want is more. You want to see God do more. You want to see God save more people. You want to see God change more lives. And so I'm going to read this with you to read along with me here, starting in verse 8 through verse 13. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, and the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem, 
began work and appointed to the Levites for twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God. The sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And so I want to stop right there and I want to show you a couple things about this. If you are going to really embrace and be a part of what God is doing and really want to see God at work, there are a couple things I want you to see from this text. The first one here is in verse 8 is that they were delivered. They had been brought out of captivity. And when you can really experience God at work in your life, it is when you come to a place where you are thankful for what God has delivered you from. I really do believe that most Christians come to church and they have forgotten why they come. We come to honor Jesus Christ, to worship Him. Because why? He saved us from our sin. And I don't understand this, and I'm guilty of this. And as I spent the week, uh, last week with Brother John, uh, he is a joyful person. And uh, you just can't help, but when you're around him and he's, he's always picking on me and I'm picking on him and I have introduced his church to the idea of the wraparound porch. And so uh, I am sorry for the mess that I have left them, but it, is, it was a blessing for me. And, and I, I listened to him preach actually Sunday on this very same topic about the simple fact that God's people, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter the difficulty that we are facing, we ought to be able to come to church with a spirit of thanksgiving because, and if for no other reason, that we've been forgiven. We have been delivered from the bondage of sin. We have been delivered from an eternal damnation away from God. And so we see here they had been delivered from slavery. But after they were delivered, what did they begin to do? Look right there in verse 8 at the very end of it. They began to work. They began to serve God. And so if you want to be in a place where God is going to do amazing things and God is going to change lives and God is going to revive people, you have to, one, begin to be a people that are thankful for what God has done. Now, I want to say this, and, and you might have a morbid sense of what you enjoy or don't enjoy, but if you do, you might want to keep it to yourself. Most people do not wake up and say, I hope that I can go to a funeral today. I just really enjoy going to celebrate death. If that's you, please just keep it to yourself because that is extremely different. But when someone you love has a child, a newborn baby, right? Everybody's used to be before COVID, you were invited to where? The hospital. And they would even have this glass room. And I know I've been at Good Sam a lot, okay? <laughs> literally, there was at one point where the lady said, I think you have literally had more kids faster than the Amish families. And so, but <laughs> on the fourth floor, you would go in, I think they've changed it now, into this little waiting area, and they would open up the windows, and you could look in and see that baby. And it was always amazing because no one sits there and goes, well, that baby is just as ugly as sin. I am so unhappy that we have this baby. No, grown adults put their face against the window and begin to go, oh, look at that little baby. That baby's so cute. And, and I'm so thankful it looks like it's mom and not it's dad. And, and they're happy and they're rejoicing. Why? Because there is life. And let's be honest, most churches 
have so little life in them that when you go there, why would you want to be a part of it? I even see it sometimes in our church. Now, I don't brag on Jamie because I like Jamie, but I think he does a great job, and I think he tries to lead us into worship and in spirit and in truth. And there are some days when the song service is over that I think, what is wrong with you people? Now, I know that not everybody is wired to jump pews and to run up and down the aisles and shout, and, and, uh, but I think a smile is usually something that should happen at church. There should be joy that comes from being delivered. There is joy that comes from serving God. But look what it goes on to say there in verse 9. They began to assign those to do the work that they were called to do. And so not only are we supposed to be rejoicing because we've been delivered, not only are we supposed to rejoice as we serve, but we're supposed to find where we fit. God has gifted each and every one of you to serve Him. And if you will find where God wants you to serve, there is joy that comes from that. I do not like working in the nursery. I don't change my own kids' diapers. I'm not going to change yours, okay? That's just the way it goes. But when my wife was in there with no help and 13 kids, guess what I would do before I taught Sunday school? I'd go work in the nursery. You know how happy I was about it? I'm not going to be I'm going to be honest with you. I was not very happy. Cuz that's not my gift. I served there because it was necessary, but there are some people who want to be around babies. They want to be in the nursery. They, they want to serve in those areas. And so if God has given you a passion and a gift, then that's where you should serve Him. Because what we're talking about tonight is missing something that we've experienced. And if you're here tonight and you remember what it was like to be saved, do you remember what it was like to fall under conviction and ask for forgiveness and to feel like God loved you and cared about you? And, and we know that salvation is not just a feeling. But do you not remember the joy there was with that? The joy that people had for you because you had given your life to Jesus Christ? There was a joy and a joy unspeakable. And think about that in churches. The days gone by when God was at work and God was moving. And so tonight I want to be a part of not just looking back and saying, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like to see people saved? Do you remember what it was like I had the privilege of preaching revival. And uh, the first night, the, the Lord moved. And the second night, the Lord moved. But there was one night that the Lord really broke loose. And it was Monday night. And um, probably the sermon I thought went the worst. Um, God began to work. And a grown man came and used the altar. And he, he let us know that, um, that his child, his grown child, had uh, taken her life. And for decades, he was bitter. He was angry at God. He was angry at the church. He was angry at all things related to, uh, to God because how could a loving God let that happen? And, and uh, Monday night, he just said, I, I've given it to God. And uh, this grown man just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. And, and so the, the altars were full and people left. And then all of a sudden, the invitation kept going and then a, a whole nother group of people came to the altar, and, and then there's another man that's over there, and, and he gets up and tells them that uh, that he had had something going on, and and uh, he had been hiding it for years, and and uh, people knew about it in his own home, but he lived one way at church, and another way at at home, and the Lord had shown him that that was not acceptable, and so so this is going on, and and as you know about Baptists, when the altar calls begin to run long and the sermons run long, you got 
half the people that are thinking this is great and half the people that are thinking, I just want to go home. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of in that mindset. I'm thinking, this is great. This is exciting, you know. But uh, I'm sitting there on the front row, and I can see some people back here. She's looking at her watch, and I'm thinking I'd throw my Bible at you if that didn't get me in trouble. And, and, uh, and as that's going on, then some people begin to leave, and then another group comes. And, 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 there's, and it was just a wonderful move of God. And, and there were people that had, had given up addictions and, and different things like that. And, and I don't know about you, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of God doing things. And I don't want to have to look back and say, you know what, that revival was so wonderful to be at. Those times of God's blessings were so good. But I want it to be what? Continuous. I want God to be continually reviving my heart and your hearts and our church where it's a place where life is seen, where God is at work. And that is going to take a couple things. You have to celebrate the fact that you've been delivered you have to be willing to serve and use the gifts that God has given you. And you have to find the place that you know that God has called you to serve. And if you can do those things, that will put you in a place that God can work and move in your life. And so thoughts. Have you ever been that way when you look back and say, man, those were great times. If I could just go back to that. Right. Second thing I want to show you tonight is that once God begins to work in your heart and in your life and in this church, worshiping and praising Him is the only overflow that can happen. Look what it says here in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinances of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. When you really understand what God has forgiven you from, and you really will come to church, and it's not about what people are wearing or, or what the preacher is going to say, but it's the fact that I get the privilege to come and worship Jesus Christ. I get to come and celebrate the fact that I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I was on my way to hell, but God loved me so much that He sent Jesus Christ to die for me, someone who couldn't earn it, someone who couldn't pay for it, someone who, who just has nothing to offer except for filthy rags, but yet Jesus loves me. I don't think that's how we come to church. I think we come to church many times thinking about what are we going to do when it's over? Or I wonder how bad my kids are going to be. Or I, this story is, is very common, but I'll tell you that here at 10 Mile, our third child, Jayla, had a terrible tendency when she would come to church to go into the restroom, take off her underwear, and not put them back on. And um, so one Sunday night, they're all out in the lobby, and uh, she's laying in the floor playing. I'm telling the story correct, ain't I? She's not wanting me to tell this story, but I'm telling it. I think Dave, you were Dave was there. And as you know, a little girl does what with her dress? She goes, whoop! Oh my Lanta, I am telling you, it was humiliating for us, right? Because here's our kid, and everybody's, you know, it was just one of those things that happened. But I'm pretty sure that was more joy than people that had at church laughing at us in years than they've had coming to worship Jesus. 
You see, friends, our church has got problems. Our church is not perfect. Not everything is the way that I would choose for it to be. Not everything is the way that you would choose for it to be. But when I come to church, I have to get into a mindset of, Lord, you have been so good to me. And I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to be thankful for, Lord, you letting me come. And who else is going to be here today? Lord, I'm looking forward to what you're going to do. How many of you come to church really thinking every Sunday that someone could get saved? How many of you really come to church every Sunday thinking, this could be the day that God hears my prayers and changes someone's life in my family? Do you really believe that, Lord, if I will cry out to you, I will find an altar somewhere, Lord, I will do business with you, that I can leave different than I came? Because I really think that's the greatest threat that we face. It's not from a secular world. It's not from all the stuff that's going on in politics. It's from when God's people come to God's house because it's what we've always done. You see, these people were coming back from slavery. They were watching the temple be rebuilt and they begin to praise. They begin to worship God. And so tonight, whether it is your salvation, your children's salvation, uh, I think of so many Sundays as I look around and I think, you know what, I remember when the doctors told that mom she couldn't have kids. Or I remember when that mom, the doctors told her she couldn't have kids. And I remember when, when that boy was diagnosed with cancer. I remember when that family needed a miracle. I remember when, when that family uh, thought their marriage wasn't going to make it and God put it back together. And, and I could be so rejuvenated by what is going on in people's lives. But you know what else I can do? I can look at people and say, you know what, they sure are friendly at church, but they sent me two emails talking about how terrible they hate church. Or, well, I'm sure glad they're talking nice to that person at church because they were in my office three times last month complaining about them. And all that joy that I should have from what God is doing, guess what happens? I begin to think, Lord, if you could just get this service over. Lord, if you can just get us out of this meeting, if you can just get us out of this committee meeting, Lord, if you can just get us through today one more Sunday without this argument or this fight. And I begin to think, oh, it's a burden. And I can tell you that I leave many Sundays with that on my mind instead of, Lord, I just want to thank you for the privilege to worship you and to honor you. Lord, I'm just thankful for what you're doing. And so, but when God really delivers you and you have found where you're supposed to be, worship and praise is just the natural Overflow. Thoughts. Well, I think the biggest thing is most of us have kind of given up that God can do anything. We look at the political culture, we look at how most churches are going, and we just kind of believe this mindset that God is not able. And I really do believe that. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, I struggle with this a lot. It is a personal struggle that I have, is trusting that God can do bigger things tomorrow uh, than He has done. I, I just, I get in my mind, well, We've got 500 people, and, and how many more people could we reach? Or, or we've got 750 that we're trying to take care of, and, and how is it possible to even care for that many more people? And, and if we grow more, are people going to give? And are all these things that go through my mind, and God has to remind me, and He has to just sometimes sit me down and just through serious conviction of the Spirit and the Word and say, I can do great and mighty things for my glory. You just need to trust me. You just need to trust what I can do. And so other struggles. Anybody else have that struggle? Maybe not. Maybe you always 
have confidence and uh, never have any doubt, but I, I can really struggle with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the biggest struggle is that we just genuinely, most people don't have quiet times anymore. And so the struggle is how do, how do we worship corporately? It's kind of like the analogy of a ball and chain, right? You're dragging someone along with you. And sometimes it feels that way at worship. You've, you've prayed and you've spent time in the Word. And, you've, and for me, I love hymns. And so I've listened to the, to the, to the court, the cathedrals, and listened to the kingsmen. And man, I, all Sunday morning, I've listened to that and I'm ready to go. And, and I've listened to it all week and I've read my Bible. And then you come into church and first thing, you're like, how are you this morning? Dog got run over. I got a big toe that's infected. I got, uh, you know, and it's just like, Bleh. And so I think that is so important, though, that as we worship God individually, like she said, that when we come together to worship corporately, God blesses that. And so it starts individually, like we said, looking at deliverance, looking at service, looking at finding our place. We begin to worship and praise Him. But I want to show you what it says here in verses 12 and 13. Settling doesn't matter if you're taking notes, if you don't know what you've missed. Look here what it says in verses 12 and 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. I want to spend some time here because I want you to see this. You have one group of people who have never seen the temple. They have been living in exile. And if you've ever seen the picture of Herod's temple, right, when Jesus was alive, that is not the size of it was when Zerubbabel rebuilt it. It was a small, modest building. Herod, trying to appease the Jewish people, expanded it and, and built it up and improved it. But, but it wasn't like that. The foundation wasn't like that. And many times I've heard people say, well, Jake, they were upset because there wasn't gold and there wasn't silver. And, and if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Kings, and I won't read it for the sake of time. It just talks about what the temple looked like, how the, the walls were covered in gold and and there was cedar and beautiful woodwork, and it was just this beautiful, beautiful building. But I think what we fail to realize is the new temple was missing something that the old temple had, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, don't be thinking Indiana Jones, all right? As, you know, but the Ark of the Covenant is where God chose for His presence to reside. You see, they had a building, they had a place, but they did not have the power and presence of God. And many churches are meeting in buildings at the same time. Many individuals are trying to live on yesterday's manna, what it used to be like to read their Bible, what it used to be like to have quiet times, and they have missed something. They have missed the power and presence of God in their life. And what this older generation realizes is, this ain't the same. This isn't what it's supposed to be like. This isn't the worship that we had. 
This isn't the blessings that we had. This is not what it looked like to worship the living God like it used to. And they were weeping because of that. And so I hear this all the time from people. Jake, if we can just make the church appealing enough. Or Jake, if we can just bring back things to the way that they used to be. Jake, if we could just do this or we could just do that, then that's what would be a blessing. No, the power and presence of God in your life as an individual and in the life of the church is what people are looking for. People have no use to be a part of a dead religious service. But I am telling you, when God is at work, when lives are being changed, when life is being given, there is something that God uses to attract people to that. It is something that has hope. It is something that has joy. I know from my own personal experience that I don't always exhibit joy even when I have it, okay? I'm a there is joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart kind of guy sometimes, okay? But that's not how it should be. And so the world is full of lost, cold, dead people. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Bible talks about that, that there is joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the long-suffering, and all of these attributes that the church should have and that you should have as an individual believer. But tonight I want you to hear this because many of you have been in church longer than I have been alive. Many of you have been in church longer than my mother has been alive, and she's here, all right? And you cannot live your spiritual life today on the leftovers from yesterday. It doesn't matter how great your pastor was in 1978. It doesn't matter how great that revival was in 1942. It doesn't matter how good your quiet time was back three years ago. If you are truly experiencing the power and presence of God in your life, it has to be a daily relationship. It has to be a daily time of getting along with Him and worshiping Him and spending time with Him. And that's what we see here. They wept because the presence of God, what God had done in those days, was what they remembered. And so tonight I really want to challenge us as a church not to settle for what we have today, not even to look back to what we had, but to believe that God can do amazing things. As an individual tonight, I want to challenge you. Look what it says there in verse 11. Because it says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You say, well, Jake, this is as good as it gets. Well, if you've read ahead at all, you know that they got the foundation built, but then they stopped because of opposition. You see, living on yesterday's joy is not enough to carry you through the difficulties of today. Living on yesterday's blessings are not enough to get you through the opposition that you're going to face. And you're going to face opposition. You're going to face difficulties. But yet if you flip through, and we're not going to read it just for the sake of, of time, we'll study it in the weeks to come, but there in chapter 5, they begin to start this process again of restoring and, and completing it and, 
and dedicating it and celebrating it. And so even though it is not what it was, and even though they were missing many of the blessings that God had given them, they still persevered on. And some people would say, well, this is dead religion. They were just going through the motions. They're, they're, they were just doing what they had to do. Yes, I'm sure that is true. There were some that were doing that. But I am sure there were some like Zerubbabel or like Haggai or Zechariah, the prophets who had prophesied, did it because they loved God. And they believed that God was going to do amazing things. That God was going to work and move and that God was going to change lives. But I want to say something. That most of these Old Testament prophets realized something as they were prophesying and they were proclaiming about the temple that we know for sure now is that Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed and three days later it would what? Rise again. And so the hope wasn't in the building. The hope wasn't in the foundation. The hope wasn't even the Ark of the Covenant. The hope is in Jesus. And that's why I love verse 11 so much. For He is good. For His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Now I've had people say, well, Jake, that's a promise only for Israel. You can find it in the Bible numerous other times. For He is good. For His mercy endures forever. They were celebrating one simple thing, that God is merciful and that He is good and that He is not only merciful for a season, but that He is merciful forever. I am thankful that God does not give me what I deserve. I'm glad that God is willing to extend mercy. And if we're going to be a church that celebrates what Jesus Christ can do for us, we have to celebrate the fact that it's mercy. That Jesus is a merciful Savior who loves us. And so thoughts, questions, uh, disagreements. Um, have you seen that in your own life or in your church life or in your individual quiet time life? I really think that the thing that I see the biggest struggle with in not only our church, but churches all over, you say, well, Jake, that's not fair to say that. That's just the way it is. Is I really think that most people are so happy with life now that heaven doesn't even appeal to them. Now, it appeals to them when they get old and decrepit and they're in a nursing home and they can't do anything, but I hear that all the time. I've just got too much living to do now. And I'm not saying you should walk around being morbid and hoping for death, but my hope is not here. My hope is in glory with where Jesus is and what it's like to not have to battle sin anymore. I heard a person say one time, they said, Jake, I just don't have that struggle. I said, what struggle is that? The struggle with sin. I said, well, I know one sin that you've got. That's lying. And uh, because the Bible says, Paul says, right, the things I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, those I do. And so sanctification is only complete when God takes you to heaven. And so for me, that's the biggest joy of heaven is being with Jesus and not having to deal with sin. The struggle of sin. Not just the death that sin causes, but the heartbreak that sin causes. How many of you have ever done something sinful and hurt somebody? Okay, a few honest people. I appreciate that. How many of you have ever done something sinful and hurt yourself? Amen. And so just think about that. And so I really do want it to be that way. 
Why do churches not get excited when people get saved? Because they've lost perspective. That that person was going to spend eternity somewhere else, away from God. But now they will spend it with Him. And what was more important than that? Being away from God as an enemy to become a part of the family of God. And uh, same way about a lot of different blessings. When God gives someone that is a Christian victory over a sin they've been struggling with. When God leads someone to join a church. When God uh, heals and God does work in, in people's lives. It should be a time of what? Rejoicing and celebrating. And it should be in our own life what God is doing. And huh, the church that I preached at last week, every week, except for when they have like a child dedication, they have a testimony time. And when they told me that, I went, what? Like that is the greatest fear that I have is some crazy person getting the mic, right? And uh, not that it always happens that way, but it has happened that way before. And, um, and I said, you mean you have one every week? Yeah, we have one person every week gets up, gives their testimony of what God's done before church. And at first I thought, oh, oh boy, that could go really bad. And the more I started praying about it, it was such a blessing. I went back and started watching the church that I was at services, but not the sermons, just the testimony times. Because God was doing amazing things in those people's lives. And their church is like ours. Most people know very few people. They have no idea what your story is. They have no idea how God's been with you. No idea how God has worked and moved in your life and marriage. And so it was a wonderful thing. Now, I'm not saying we're going to do it here. I'm just saying that, you know, you know, you can do that in Sunday school. But, uh, uh, but it was just a real blessing to see how God was doing that. The one lady had talked about how the fact that she had, uh, when she was a young mother, she had no food and, and, and no way to, to, to provide for her kids. And she didn't know how it was going to be and she didn't have any family. And, and some lady just showed up that was a, a little old lady from the community and said, hey, i just been thinking about you, praying about you, and, and wanted to bring you some groceries. And you say, well, Jake, that's not a big testimony. If you've ever tried to feed children, it's a big deal. And the fact that your child is before you starving and has nothing and you have no money and no way to provide it, she said that was God. God did that. And so it was just a powerful time of what God had done. But it's also a reminder of what God can do. And so tonight I really want you to think about that in your walk with God to keep celebrating what God is doing. You might think that everyone knows your testimony. You might think that everyone knows your story, but they probably don't. You need to continue to tell them how God has saved you, how God has changed your life, how God is able to do amazing things for His glory. And I believe if we'll get to that point where we don't live on yesterday's manna, then God will do amazing things here. God will do amazing things for you, but He will do amazing things here as a church when we begin to celebrate who He is and what He's done. Other thoughts? And it's not just little churches. Big churches can be dead too. Size has nothing to do with it. Um, you can draw a crowd for a train wreck just as easy as you can draw a crowd for something that is, that's good. And so I don't want you to think that it's just small churches or country churches. It's, that's not it at all. It, it's literally, it can be any size of, of a church. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
So anyway, Sunday morning, my challenge to you is to really, if, you, if you're busy, if things have not went well this week, to just spend some time with the Lord. More than your usual daily Bible study. You say, well, Jake, I just can't. I can't get here on top. My wife has got all six of our children up and here by herself on time for years. And so when people give me the excuse, I just can't get to church, I, I don't want to hear it, all right? <laughs> get up a few minutes early and spend some time in prayer and thanksgiving. Lord, you have been so good to me. Write out that list of God's blessings in your life and, and how He has worked and how He's moved and, and just thank Him for who He is and, and just really try to come to worship with that attitude of thanksgiving and that God is good and that His mercy endures forever. And so I just really want to challenge you with that. Well, before we move into prayer requests, I have two things tonight, two, two exciting things that should be celebrated. I have two people here tonight that would like to join our church, and, um, and they're sitting right back there on the corner of that table. Uh, you would know them as the people who feed us every week. I wouldn't know Alicia as the girl who kept me out of trouble in high school. And, uh, uh, but she comes to join our church tonight on a, a statement of faith. And so I would entertain a motion to welcome her into our fellowship. I have a motion, a second. All members in favor, shout amen. 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 And the second one is Miss Tanya, which I call her Mama T. And, uh, and uh, she comes to join our church tonight as a candidate for baptism. And so I would entertain a motion to welcome her into our fellowship, a second. And all in favor, shout amen. 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 And so... That wasn't near as excited as it should have been, but that's okay. I'll let the sermon sink in. And so uh, we've had five or six people here join on Wednesday nights. And so that's how scary you all look on Sunday morning that they won't join on Sunday morning. But, uh, but that's exciting, and we're, we're thankful for that and excited, excited, excited for that. And you say, well, I can't believe we can have people join on Wednesday nights. Yeah, we can. This is a, a church service, and so uh, we can do it. So... Congratulations and 